Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Show brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check them out online, mslandbank.com, or grab the phone number when you go to that website, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, what's up on a Tuesday? Oh, not a whole lot. We had a uh, little office baby shower. We've got three people expecting babies here in the... Uh, uh, the palatial studios. Rebecca Turner is due well, basically right now. Any minute. Right? Any minute now. Uh, Ashley is due about a week before my wife is, and so we had a little joint, you know, lunch thing, and uh, it was nice. It was nice of everybody to to actually show up and uh, congratulate us on our accomplishments. I guess if you want to call it that. You know, I don't know what it is, Borky. You, you like to, to kind of rib me about the fact that I didn't come to your wedding. I'm not sure what it is about celebrations of major life events for you where my invitation just seems to get lost in the mail. Well, this was a company-wide thing. I didn't set this up. Yeah. So you got you got to blame Angie down the hall for that. For first, first time I've heard of this. Are you serious? Well, they yeah. must have just sent the email to the, the people that uh, were here, you know, just in the Jackson office, I guess. Fair I don't enough. Nobody gave you anything. I don't want anybody to get upset. Oh, did you get some uh, some baby gifts? Yeah, yeah. I got a a little sleeper and. Uh, um... Does it fit? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, you meant for the baby, not for you. I, I'm not kidding though. I would love to sleep in these baby sleepers where there's no legs, where it's just like a long, like silk thing that I get to put my baby in for the first few months because but they can't. Borky, they make those. I think they're called gowns. Dude, I, I might rock one because this thing looks comfortable to me. <laughs> well, I don't know how much can, the wife would appreciate that, but uh, you know who you, cares? You you can jump on a women's clothing website and see if you can find uh, one that might be plus size for a uh, female and order a, a silk nightgown for yourself. <laughs> and and be sure to tell us about it when you do that. I might just do it. Uh, also a bib as well, which was uh, was really nice. I, my favorite baby gift so far, though. Is um, the PPTP, which we oh yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, but I got bad news for you. They don't work. They don't work. <laughs> I just didn't think about it. You know, it's not something that I put together in my head. But uh, after the the baby shower, and I'm looking through all the stuff that she got, and these little uh, cloth cone looking things are are in the laundry because we washed it all, of course. And I felt so stupid because I asked my wife what it was, and she just started laughing at me. It's to make sure that, you know, you can change them without getting more dirty. I mean, it's 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 probably been days since Rippy's used one of those. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you, you, you seriously didn't hear him just talking about the PPTP? So how does that work? Well, it's let's th- let let let's let your mind's eye work just for a second. Think about a TP shape, shape of a TP, right? And it's called a PPTP, and it's a baby gift for a young baby boy. So you tell me how you think it works. 
pee in the top of the hole. I have no idea. Teepees have a hole at the top to let the smoke out. The, the so I- what you know about history. The idea is... <laughs> The idea is it's a bit of a shield. The problem is there's no pressure gauge on those things, Borky. Oh, well, yeah, they're real light, so I'm looking forward to that. But no, it was good, and I'm glad you showed up for that as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I was invited. Well, the difference is, I mean, you got the invitation to the wedding. It didn't show. So, I mean, if I'd have just invited you to... uh... I didn't even get that. Well, either did Rippy, so at least you guys are... uh... Oh, so (laughs) I'm in the same... Boat with that scalawag. Forky, you and Haydad get us through this first segment, and we'll figure out what's going on with these phone lines. Gotcha. Well, we got a bunch of stuff to get to today, Haydad. Football is on the brain. Mississippi State practice at all today? Uh, They will be practicing today, and I will be talking with offensive players later, including, from what I can gather, Tommy Stevens. And he's the guy now. I missed that news last week. So Yeah. I was thinking about this this morning. We played the audio from Joe Moorhead yesterday about uh, he's meeting with Keaton Thompson and they're going to discuss his future with the program. And my question, the thing that popped up in my head this morning was, do you think it would be best for everybody involved at this point, now that he's stepped away, at least in this short term, now that he's already put his name in the transfer portal, just to let him go? instead of trying to convince him to stay on your team this year? I think if you're Mississippi State, it, it, it behooves you to try to keep him on the team. But for Keaton Thompson, I would agree, probably best. While you've got your redshirt year loaded and ready to go, and there's, you don't want to take the risk of, of, of it going badly, I, I would say. Because I think if State got into a situation, let's say State, he decides I'm going to stay, I'll redshirt this year, I'll, I'll head out next year. And then he plays in his four games, and then against Alabama – State's in the game, and Stevens gets hurt. Are you going to tell me that Keaton Thompson isn't going to be like, no, I'll go, I'll go out there, you know? Yeah. So, I don't and know. is he in line? Does has anybody mentioned him being in line to to graduate school this year? Don't don't know the academic standing for him as far as uh, as far as that goes. I mean, he he got he got came to school December of twenty. 16, I believe he he was in he was in town. I'm sorry, 2017. He was in town for those bowl practices that state went through, uh, you know, prior to the Gator Bowl that year. So, oh, so this, this would just be two and a half years. Yeah, I mean, unless he's done, you know, he's gotten ahead of the schedule. Yeah, he he shouldn't be on track to graduate after this semester. I would think he'd probably be at least one more. You would think. Yeah. Ryan Brown will join us at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock, do a little college football talk with him. Auburn named uh, their starting quarterback, and a little bit later we'll uh, discuss this further, but six starting running backs on Auburn's depth chart that they released to the media earlier today. We'll do a little Southern Miss conversation with Luke Johnson as he joins for his weekly chat. Some under-the-radar games to watch this opening weekend. I don't know if you've looked at the slate, but we love football. We're excited for football a little underwhelming, but there are a handful of games that you're not looking forward to that maybe you should, and we'll tell you what those are coming up later on in the show. I noticed a gambling trend. We'll get into this next regarding Mississippi State and their game against ULL, and the over-under has skyrocketed, and the line has dropped somewhat. People are putting money in on the Cajuns. What does it mean? We'll discuss that here in just a few minutes. Other college football storylines today, Jim Harbaugh is still 
insisting that he wants to do, not a two-quarterback system, but he wants to play both of his quarterbacks. Auburn again listed six running backs on their depth chart. James Franklin denied any wrongdoing in the lawsuit that we discussed briefly yesterday. The former Vanderbilt coach now at Penn State uh, is alleged to have pressured uh, athletic trainers to get guys on the field before they were ready. Some former Vanderbilt players uh, have come out in support of James Franklin today, including Austin Carter-Samuels, a former starting quarterback who was injured, who tried to come back and claims that Franklin told him not to play. So uh, that is out there in the news as well. Some NFL notes, including uh, they signed a deal with Oakley and immediately changed some rules in order to make sure that the branding for Oakley would appear on football helmets. It's funny how money is driving decisions in the NFL. We've got your uh, Pearl River Resort, Golden Moon Casino, Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge pick of the day. 100 teams in 100 days goes down to the bayou and a whole lot more on a football-loaded Tuesday afternoon in Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You on this Tuesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Glad to have you along. Sports Talk is brought to you every day, as we told you earlier, by Mississippi Land Bank. The C Spire text line is open to you this afternoon. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You already got uh, Stick to Sports guy. He wanted to know if this was a baby show or a sports show right out of the gate. Thanks for listening. Glad to have you along. I bet you are a lot of fun, man. One one way we know we can count on Rippy, have sticks to stick to sports guy chime in, and he is all over it. Man, it was three uh, can minutes. You imagine, uh, can you imagine just being like, you know what? Right out of the gate, three hours, however many minutes that is. I'm not good at math. Just to be like, talk about exactly what I want to hear. Like you are special. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of folks are special out there. Ryan Brown will join us a little bit later this afternoon. So will Luke Johnson. We'll uh, talk some big-picture SEC stuff with uh, Ryan Brown from Jackson, Birmingham. Luke Johnson will join us to uh, talk uh, some Southern Miss as we get closer to the season opener for Southern Miss against Alcorn State on Saturday night. Right now, let's talk some betting trends. Um, okay, so Mississippi State and Louisiana, 11 a.m. kickoff, ESPNU in the Dome in New Orleans. If you want to go back to the month of June, the line for this game opened at 23. It is now down to 20. So it's moved in the direction of ULL, but obviously a big line still. The total is kind of what's crazy. It has moved nine points since June when this game first opened. It's gone from 51 to 60, and 95% of the money on this game is coming on the over. So, hey, Dad, for Mississippi State to cover, I mean, obviously there are lots of ways that you can get to that final score where you hit the over and Mississippi State covers, but that's a, what, 42-21 type game that that Vegas is looking at, potentially? Yeah. I mean, the score of this game a season ago, I think we mentioned yesterday, was 56-10 Mississippi State. Which would be a cover and the over. Yeah, I would expect State to you know obviously take a little bit of a step back defensively, and then offensively I expect State to be better. So I don't know if State's going to get fifty six again, but I think State will score in the forties. So it, it becomes that question: Yeah, are they going to keep them out of the twenties? 
But if you think this game is going to be something like 42 to 10, you know, which is still a huge win, State would cover, but wouldn't get the over on that. So it's it's, it's interesting though the way the lines are moving there. I think that, I mean, 20 points. I, I think State State's going to cover that as we sit here today. I, I think if if State doesn't cover that, it, it's sort of what you just drew up. They gave up 21 points to Louisiana, and that does not bode well for when they're playing SEC teams. Yeah. But with all the, uh, I guess, a couple of things at play. One, a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball. I know you got a bunch of guys that come back. I, I understand that. But you lose three NFL draft picks on the defensive side of the ball from what was the best defense in the country or one of the best defenses in the country, depending on what metric you want to use. So, so that's part one. And part two, you have the unknown of not being sure who is going to play. And not because of injury, but because of potential suspensions. Is Mississippi State going to be down a couple of starters? Are they going to be down multiple starters on the defensive side of the ball? Are they going to be down a couple of starters and then a bunch of backups? We just don't know kind of the distribution of the suspensions. And so I would think that that would factor into this number as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's probably why the line has, has seen so much movement is the uncertainty surrounding Mississippi State and what their roster is actually going to look like and what the depth chart's actually going to look like uh, when they get down to New Orleans. My, my thought process is just that even if, you know, two or, th- two or three starters are missing from the defense, you, you, you should still have the depth there to be able to, to control a Louisiana. You know, this is a, you know, a good Sun Belt team. That's a team, an SEC team should be able to, to beat and beat relatively easily. Yeah. Uh, so those are a couple of notes on the uh, the line for Mississippi State and Louisiana. Rippy on the Ole Miss front, the total has remained pretty stagnant. It stayed right at about 68 for, for this game since it first rolled out in June. The line has dropped, though, a little bit. It's gone from 7, 7.5 with Memphis as the favorite. Only a couple of points. It's moved a couple of points down to about 5.5, which says to you that either the odds makers have made an adjustment internally or that there's been some money that has come in significant enough to move the line a couple of points over the course of a couple of months in favor of Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, that's... Generally, how it goes, like the you know, more money comes in on one side, you kind of make an adjustment based off of it. So, I don't know, game time will be around somewhere between five and six, I would imagine. Yeah, feels like it's probably at a spot where it's settled a little bit. I don't think it'll get like any closer than five. I couldn't see it going much more than six. Yeah. So, so this basically just under a touchdown game. That total sixty-eight. I mean that. You know, with a, a five and a half point line and a total of sixty-eight, obviously the, the the folks in the desert, the odds makers that set these lines, expect it to be a high-scoring game. They probably watched these two teams play defense last year. That's possible. Which would be a good reason <laughs> to um, to put that number where it is. Uh, more question marks on the defensive side of the ball for Ole Miss or for Memphis? Oh, Ole Miss. You Memphis think? front seven is pretty good. Secondary. Not so much, but uh, I had Joda Jordan, who covers Memphis for the Daily Memphian on the podcast on Monday, and he pointed out that he seemed to think a lot of Memphis's secondary issues were, one, due to injuries that they had at safety last year, and two, to them not being able to get a very consistent pass rush that left, left the secondary on an island a decent bit. But they've kind of revamped the the front seven, particularly on the defensive line depth-wise, a little bit. Um I know they have one guy out whose name is escaping me right now. I saw it yesterday. Everett uh, Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah. Um, so 
who's a JUCO guy and may or may not have been a starter, right? I asked him if who's going to be on someone's radar soon that, or like outside of the Memphis bubble, who's going to be on someone's radar soon that is not, and he listed Cunningham. Hmm. And Patrick Taylor, the running back, already is kind of on people's bo- uh, radar. I was asking about the on the defensive okay, side, okay, the defensive specifically. Yeah. Gotcha. Another starter out, by the way, Chris Claybrook's a corner for Memphis in this game. Okay. Uh, saw that uh, that news pop up yesterday uh, as well. So Memphis down a couple of guys on the uh, the defensive side. It, offensively, obviously there's huge question marks for Ole Miss because it's a new scheme and it's a new quarterback and it's an inexperienced offensive line and it's a new group of receivers, also inexperienced. Memphis has got some question marks and then they lose – two running backs to the NFL. They do have a returning quarterback. I just kind of keep going back to something that Borky has pointed out on a number of occasions as we kind of looked uh, from a high level at this game over the course of the summer. In their last 16 games, Memphis is 8-8. Eight and eight. And against uh, teams with a winning record a, a season ago, Brady White was very average. So Memphis is not a team that plays a schedule that's got a bunch of SEC teams on it. Does that mean anything going into this one? Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, Do you think Memphis is a good football team? Yes. But I don't know. Like good to average or like good to great? Good to good to better than Ole Miss. Okay. So you think Memphis, despite recruiting rankings and roster size and what is a better football team? Less question mark, sure. Yeah. Um, just kind of looking in the rearview mirror at uh, at how Memphis went, and, and I know we've talked about them already some in our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, which, by the way, comes back to SEC country a little bit later this afternoon. Memphis went 8-6 and six last year. They beat Mercer, lost to Navy by one in Week 2, won back-to-back games against Georgia State and South Alabama. They lost by 16 on the road against Tulane. They beat UConn handily. They lost by one to UCF in the regular season. They lost by 32 to Missouri, and that's the game that really, I think, feels like the outlier for a lot of people. Then they won four in a row in the American. They beat East Carolina, Tulsa, SMU, and Houston for losing for a second time to UCF, this time by two touchdowns on the road, and then they lost their bowl game to uh, to Wake Forest as well to finish 8-6 and six a year ago. And if you rewind to the previous season... They lost to UCF in the AAC championship game, and they lost in the Liberty Bowl to Iowa State. So they've lost their last two postseason games. So going back to the final two games of the 2017 regular season, and I don't know if it makes sense to do that or not. I mean, you can kind of pick a arbitrary spot to go, well, from this point forward they are this and this. But you look at conference championship game, bowl game, and an entire season, and over the course of 16 games, they're sitting at 8-8. Eight and eight. That's pretty average, isn't it? Is the is the Missouri game an outlier or reality? It's the best team on their schedule last year. They went into that game fairly shorthanded. And Memphis or Missouri? Memphis. And the only team they beat with a pulse a year ago was missing their quarterback and fired their coach. Every other win on their schedule last year was against a bad football team, and the good one fired their coach, and was missing their quarterback. Same with Ole Miss, right? Fair enough. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. All guests appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Let's go down to Hattiesburg and check in with our buddy Luke Johnson. He's co-host of the Eagle Hour on Supertalk Hattiesburg, Supertalk Laurel, and streaming at supertalk.fm. Just a few days away now, Luke, from uh, the start of the season. and feels like we've got a little more clarity uh, then maybe we had uh, just a couple of days ago Jack Abraham listed as the starter on the depth chart. And kind of based on the conversation that we had with Jay Hobson last week, it sounds like not only is he the starter, but he's going to be the quarterback unless something goes wrong. Yeah, happy Tuesday to you, Richard. Hope you all are doing good. Uh, yes, sir. At the, at the presser, uh, Coach Hobson basically said what we saw. He said there was Jack was didn't ever do anything to lose the job. Tate just had a good spring, and competition's always a, a good thing. I think it's been pretty much uh, settled that, that Abraham would be the quarterback. That scrimmage two weeks ago really solidified it. Uh, and so Jack's looking with an improved uh, offensive line and uh, more weapons at his disposal, looking to improve. And as far as throwing the football, can't really force the ball maybe as much as he did a few times last year, but the nation's leading completion uh, percentage guy at 73%. So more weapons at, at Abraham's uh, disposal, and, and I think the offensive line will give him a lot more time this year. Yeah, through for almost 2,400 yards, 15 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That that touchdown-to-interception ratio is probably an area where they would like to, to improve. What? I mean, you, you, you can maybe push the touchdown number up to 2022, assuming he stays healthy and he's the quarterback all the way through, maybe a hair more than that and then see that interception number come down into the single digits? I mean, is that kind of ideal? Uh, that would be wonderful. And part of it is there, there's just a much better receiving core this year. Uh, some of those some of those interceptions were thrown late in games. One was against Monroe, and he's just trying to make something happen. So you, you look at that, that touchdown number would have been it would have gone up probably in the 20 range or low 20 range. He was hurt a few games last year when Tate Watley got thrown into the fire to play. So, you know, in the course of a 12-game season, you would expect Abraham this year to be in the low to mid-20s. Luke, we got the news yesterday that Quez Watkins is not going to play the first two games of the season. He was the leading pass catcher uh, a year ago, nearly 900 yards, nine touchdowns, had 72 catches. How does that change the offense in the opener against Alcorn State and then in week uh, week two on the road in Starkville? Well, it's a big loss. Uh, there's been stories uh, regarding Quez, he had to go down to, to community college and, and, and uh, fix some academic stuff. And there wasn't a reason given why uh, he uh, is out the first two games, and we don't expect to, to hear a reason for that. But if it if it had to happen to a position, wide receivers are, are the are other than the linebackers are the absolute deepest uh, position on the field for Southern Miss. The consensus is any of the uh, the six guys uh, that they're going to be rotating in and out could probably start. At anywhere in Conference USA, uh, Jalen Adams is going to start. Uh, Tim Jones is going to start. Jordan Mitchell is going to start in, instead of Quez. Mitchell's a great story. Six three two zero two senior out of Oak Grove uh, gets a start. You know his senior year. But you're going to see guys like Neil McLaurin, a very athletic. He was a former junior college quarterback. You're going to see guys like Trevor Terry, uh, the Michael Harris. I should mention from St. Aloysius. Tip the hate ad there. They're they're just going to run them in and out. Uh, and, and I don't think as bad as it could be for Southern Miss fans to lose your number one receiver. I'm really looking for, for Tim Jones 
and uh, especially Jordan Mitchell to, to catch it up, and, and you may not be missing Quez Watkins at all week one. I kind of don't even like myself for asking this question, so I'll apologize in advance. Um, and, and I know coaches roll their eyes when this topic comes up. But Tate Watley, obviously the backup quarterback, is he athletic enough that you look for another spot on the field to try and get him into the game? Pretty set at running back with, with Mosley and, and obviously with Steven um, Anderson with the way that he came on. You've talked about the receiving core being deep. Is there anything for him other than just being the backup quarterback? I don't think so. I wouldn't see a way that he would get on the field, you know, unless they, you know, had some, you know, trick set with Lion Abraham out at, at wide receiver. I mean, it's just a spe- very special occasion. I don't see it. You got to remember, he's a true sophomore, so he's still got a red shirt in his back pocket. Uh, I don't, I don't think that would be at all. The only way I see Tate playing uh, this year is is uh, an Abraham injury or in just special situations with short yardage, as we've discussed before. What's the expectation, or, or what is a fair expectation for this Southern Miss team? They go six and five a year ago, eligible for a bowl, but they're left on the outside looking in because of the numbers game. It was one of those years where there were more bowl eligible teams than there were spots available. We're only a couple of years removed from having teams with losing records get into bowl games. So, what's a reasonable expectation for this version of Southern Miss? Regarding both sides of the ball, the defense should be better, and the offense should be far more efficient. So, if you're looking at uh, a win total, I think any, I think if it's a seven-win season, I think that's a that's a disappointment. You, you look at uh, what happens on September seventh, and and again, I'm not trying to blow smoke statewide at all or talk smack or anything. The the Eagles just feel feel like they can play with Mississippi State, whether that's a half, three quarters. They just feel like they can play with them. The, the tail of the tail is going to be September 14th at Troy. If you you win, you beat Alcorn, you lose in Starkville. Uh, if you win at Troy, and then you know you're going to get beat at at, at Bama, uh, you know, probably and, and most definitely probably will. Then you you come out two and two. You get a you get UTEP as your opening conference game. You get two weeks to prepare, uh, prepare for North Texas. So you look at if you if you escape non-conference, if you get through it two and two. You, you may only lose one game the rest of the way. So the best-case scenario, nine wins. I think everybody's expecting eight wins. I think seven wins is a disappointment. Looking at recent years where Southern Miss has played either Mississippi State or another SEC team, in 2014 it was a 49 to nothing loss, 2015 at the Rock, 34-16. to you go to the 2016 season where Southern Miss opened the year on the road at Kentucky and won. Lost to Kentucky at home in 2017. Also lost at Tennessee in 2017. Is there one of those games that you think is most comparable to Week 2 in Starkville this year? Well, you throw the 2014 game out uh, just, just because, I mean, Southern Miss was – that was – Coming off the 0 and 12 and 1 and 11, and, and Dak Prescott's out there, and I mean that was just an annihilation. Um, the, the the 2015 team, Southern Miss, I, I believe, is better defensively in that game. Uh, the Tennessee game uh, is uh, a game where you're playing with a true freshman quarterback, and I'm not one to make excuses, but Southern Miss uh, had 15 penalties in the fourth quarter. Tennessee had one. Go figure that one out. Anyway, I, I think the the 16 Kentucky game. 
is uh, probably the best. Nick Mullins was a senior um, in that game. Uh, Jack Abraham's going to be a junior. I felt like the offense in 16 was a little better. Uh, but, but defense wins games. And so I feel like uh, it, it may be just like the 2016 Kentucky game, but you're better on the defensive side of the ball than you are offensive. We talked with uh, Jay Hobson about this last week. I feel like there's a lot of buildup for the season opener against Alcorn State. He mentioned outside the Mississippi State game in uh, in Hattiesburg a few years ago, that's one of the top five crowds of all time, the last time they played Alcorn State. What's the atmosphere going to be like Saturday night? I'm uh, hoping for uh, 30,000 plus. I mean, that's what their big goal is this year, Packer Rock 30,000. Southern Miss is 7-0 against SWAC teams. Uh, I think they've, they've won uh, about 65% of the time in, in openers. Should be really exciting, um, and, and simply, we talked to Jeremy McLean last week. People wonder why, you know, why are you playing SWAC teams? Well, from a, from an attendance perspective, some of the best crowds they've ever had is that way. SWAC teams travel well; it's a regional opponent, and it's the opening game of the season. So you have, uh, you know, these SWAC opponents. You'll get more people in the stand sometimes than you will for a conference USA game. Uh, so Jackson State last year, Southern the year before the, the Rock was was thumping and. Man, I, I, we expect it to be uh, this time as well. Last time Alcorn played, uh, Southern Miss, Jay Opson was the, uh, the the head coach on the other side. Now this year, Southern Miss has not only Coach Hop, but uh, offensive line coach uh, Ryan Stanchek, who was the OC at Alcorn last year. So Terry Whittington transfers over from Alcorn, and he's, uh, he's probably going to play a lot at a defensive end uh, this weekend. So uh, it should be fun, uh, and, and the Golden Eagles, I, I think, uh, will will – show people that you know that there's more to them than a six and five season this year should be a lot of fun general level of excitement pretty high right now in hattiesburg going into the year it's it's a contained (laughs) you you want to be excited uh but you know um just you you last year you win big and you lose some in a row in, in week two so there will be a whole lot of excitement when uh they see what's on the field so it there is excitement but i think it's more reserved right now Beat Jackson State 55-7 to to open the season a year ago. They opened on Saturday night at home against Alcorn State, expecting a big crowd for that one. Luke, thanks for your time, man. All right, guys. Have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you soon. It's Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour in Hattiesburg and in Laurel and streaming online at supertalk.fm. Luke joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, hey, Dad. You remember that last time you tried to rob somebody and it didn't work out so well? Boy, do I ever. Tell me about it. awful. Yeah. What a a terrible decision that was by me. Um, Bad decision by a couple of guys in Chicago. Um... Uh, making no comments whatsoever about Chicago's crime issues. But there was a crime issue here that didn't go so well. Two Chicago dudes tried to rob a woman, and it didn't work out for them because Claire Quinn is a boxer. This story from the Chicago Tribune. Chicago boxer Claire Quinn was on the way to the gym last weekend, planning on sparring in the ring when instead she ended up in a street fight. A teenager asked Quinn for directions to the Nike store. She walked in the 1600 block of North Damon Avenue at about 10.30 on Sunday morning. Moments later, an older man came up from behind and sucker-punched her in the head, 
demanding her cell phone. By the way, is there a dumber thing to steal from someone than a cell phone? With I mean, the tracking you... technology and apps and all that crap, yeah, because they could just follow you wherever you went. Right. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of my point. I mean, I guess if you steal it, you immediately take the SIM card out, and that lets you take it to a store or put it on eBay or something. But no, the the sucker punch to the back of the head did not stop Claire Quinn. She's Golden Gloves champion and is and is six and zero this year. In a phone interview with the newspaper, she said, I was like, oh, heck no. He punched me the one time really hard, and then after that, I just kept throwing my right hand into his groin. (laughs) Her right is her dominant arm, the one responsible for four knockouts this year. It didn't fail her. The two exchanged five or six punches apiece. While the man tried to grab the phone, she kept clutched in her left hand. He finally gave up and ran off empty-handed. Claire Quinn went on to say, eventually I connected enough that he stumbled away from me. She was at a salon, by the way, having her nails, fingers, and toes uh, done while she was doing this interview. Never a dull moment, she said. Hmm. Police confirmed the attack, which was first reported by the Block Club Chicago. The man and the teenager were later seen fleeing in a green sedan, according to Chicago police. No arrests have been made. Of all you know, you'd like to arrest those guys and put them in jail, but at least they've been punished. Of all the dumb criminal news, making the wrong decision and getting getting beat down because you decided to mug a UFC fighter or a, or a boxer is my favorite dumb criminal news. <laughs> and then she goes and gets her nails done. She repeatedly smokes you in the groin until you run away, and then she goes and gets her nails done. That's perfect. Hmm. Wow. So so you make the decision, you know what, it's 10.30 on a Sunday morning, I need a cell phone, I'm just going to go steal this one. Hey, there's an unsuspecting young lady. I, I'll run interference, and then an old guy will walk up from behind and crack her in the back of the head. Doesn't exactly knock her out. Went after what the wrong, wrong girl, though, because she's a Golden Gloves boxer who's 6-0 and on the year, and she starts waylaying him right in the... Mm-hmm. It's like a that's the best part, by the way. What? That that the, it wasn't the just location a punch of the punches. Face. Yeah, yeah. It's where she went. She, she knew what she was doing. <laughs> it's like one of those "Want to Get Away" commercials. <laughs> you think Southwest Airlines is trying to track these guys down? <laughs> oh goodness! Good for Claire Quinn. Maybe the uh, maybe the salon gave her her. Uh, Manicure and pedicure on the house. We've got 100 teams in 100 days coming up. Mark Schlabel from ESPN has written a what-if column. He has predicted the order of finish and the win-loss record for every team in the SEC East and West. And if you're an Ole Miss fan or a Mississippi State fan, you're probably not going to like these predictions. But I think it's how a lot of national people are looking at the state of Mississippi. We'll get into that uh, about 20 minutes or so from uh, from right now. Some stories from around college football. We've got your 
Pearl River Resort Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge pick of the day. It's another winner last night, by the way. Nice play on the Cardinals. You're Money rolling, line. man. Like profitable rolling. Profitable. Ryan Brown will join us from uh, Jocks a little bit later on this afternoon as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books, four o'clock hour coming up next with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sit tight. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got equipment needs, if you need to buy a new tractor or a cotton picker or a combine, those are those really expensive purchases. Or maybe it's something less expensive. Maybe it's uh, a spreader or some sort of new spray rig or uh, one of those great big trailers with a, a water tank on it. You still got to buy them. You get the financing for those things handled through Mississippi Land Bank. That's what they do. They loan money and for, for land, but also the stuff that goes along with the land. Online, mslandbank.com. You can find a branch location near you. They're scattered all across North Mississippi. The corporate headquarters is in uh, Senatobia, but not just Senatobia. You can go to Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, or Louisville. Those are the branch locations for Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Bunch of games coming up on Thursday. And they're not all fantastic games. They're not all great games, but they are football games, and we're just two days away from multiple options. So here's what's coming up on Thursday night. Hey, Dad, tell me if you think these games are watchable or not watchable. UCLA at Cincinnati. Watchable. Wagner at UConn. (laughs) You're pushing the limits there, I think. Yeah, Albany at Central Michigan, Morgan State at Bowling Green, Robert Morris at Buffalo, all of those games on either ESPN Plus or ESPN 3. Florida A&M is at UCF. You'll get your uh, first look at uh, the new starting quarterback for UCF, the transfer from Notre Dame, Brandon Wimbush. Central Arkansas at Western Kentucky, Gardner-Webbs at Charlotte. Here you go, ACC Network, first football game on ACC Network. Georgia Tech at Clemson. How long are you interested in that game? After so the first th- three possessions, and yeah, Clemson twenty-one nothing Clemson. Yeah, then I'm out. <laughs> All right, Alabama, a thirty-five and a half point favorite against Duke. Clemson, a thirty-six and a half point favorite at home against Georgia Tech. If I told you you had to take one of those two and lay the points, which would you do? Alabama. The numbers show that under Nick Saban, they are absolutely dominant in week one, no matter who they're playing. And Duke without Daniel Jones, even though he wasn't very productive at Duke, yeah, I would I would trust Alabama to cover that more than Clemson. But that same said, it's 35. I mean, if I told you Alabama won 41-7. to Yeah. But I could easily see. I don't think. I don't know that Georgia Tech is going to score on on, on Clemson. But the, I just don't see that. So I, I could see them winning something like thirty-eight nothing. Florida International is at Tulane. Alabama Might be sneaky that, good there. I know that's not going to be on anybody's radar. But if you're if you have an extra TV, might be worth putting that one on. 
That one's on ESPN3. Tulane is a two-point favorite. Alabama State and UAB at Legion Field. Texas State at Texas A&M, 7.30 on uh, the SEC Network. A&M a 34-point favorite. I mean, you, you, you watch that for a little while just because it's an SEC team, right? Yeah, Absolutely. just to see what they've got. But I have a feeling I won't be glued into that one more than a quarter or so. Hey, Dad, do you have a thought on that one? I think I'm going to watch it. For sure. I mean, it's it's to, to get a quick look at you know Kellen Mond, second year under Jimbo Fisher. Are, are they going to be that? You know, they should dominate that team. So if they don't, gives us gives us some idea of what they're going to do in, in year two here. I know very little, like almost nothing, about Texas State. And for whatever reason, this is one of those games where it feels like Texas A and M might hit the total all by themselves. The over under is fifty six and a half. I mean, would would you be surprised if that game went sixty-two to ten? Mm, not not overly surprised. Yeah, like said, South Dakota State, State. South Dakota State is at Minnesota. You got the Jackrabbits and the uh, the Gophers. Kent State is at Arizona State. That game on Pac-12 Network, so there's a good chance you can't watch it. Northern Colorado at San Jose State, and then finally nine fifteen Central Time kickoff from Utah. Uh, I, I'm sorry, from Provo, Utah, where the Utes, the Utah Utes, are a six point favorite against an in-state rival in BYU, the Holy War. Do you see Lee Corso picked Utah to beat Clemson in the playoff and go to the national championship? I did. I don't. Hate the idea of Utah getting to the playoff. I don't think I'm on board with the idea of Utah beating Clemson to get to the championship game. Slightly different uh, caliber horses between those two. Yeah, that feels uh, feels like two different things. We're counting you down to the start of the college football season. 100 teams in 100 days. Today we have team number four. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day. 100 teams in 100 days. This team has Brian Haydad's favorite quarterback in all of college football. Number four on the countdown, the LSU Fighting Tigers. Porky, I was all geared up for that LSU fight song, and you give me Chris Vernon singing the Ed Ogeron song. Jeez. One of the great bands, one of the great fight songs in all of college football, and that's what we get. LSU could look really, really average, very pedestrian against Georgia Southern in the opener, and then look like one of the two or three best teams in all of college football in Week 2 at Texas. True or false? Almost accurate. Like, that's probably what's going to happen. Like, a workman-like 
38 to 14, 38 to 17 against Georgia Southern. Like, not that it's ever really in doubt, like you're not sure, but maybe it's a 10 point game going into the midway point of the third quarter and then LSU pulls away. And then everybody overreacts about what they're going to look like in Austin the following week. And then LSU looks like what we think they might be capable of looking like in week two. Tigers went 10-3 and last year. This is the fourth season for Ed Ogeron as their head coach. Joe Burrow is back. He finished last year just shy of 3,000 yards with 16 touchdowns and five interceptions. Is there anything that's happened this offseason, hey, Dad, that has caused you to rethink your position on Joe Burrow? No, but that said, if what they're doing, what they say they're going to do offensively, if they do it and they stick to it, he could put up big numbers. It feels like we've heard before that LSU is going to open things up offensively. Right? I mean, we've heard that before. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 almost like a running gag at this point, you know. And I think I've said that before. You know, what happens second quarter against Texas? Longhorns are out to a 17-7 lead, and they've got the ball in their control. And Orgeron just says, we got to run the football. You know, we've got to get back to what we know. I mean, you can see it happening. So we'll see what happens. Until, you know, until I see it for the course of four or five games, but until I see it when LSU is struggling a little bit, I don't know that I'm going to buy into this the new-look Tiger offense. It's the biggest test for Ed Orgeron, right? Because... He's done a much better job than I anticipated at LSU, and maybe part of that is because you can get whoever you want there and amass a great roster without leaving the borders of your state, but he's still done a a very good job there, but it feels like they have yet reached their ceiling, kind of like what Les Miles did. Of good football teams, they'll be nasty defensively, and yet when it comes down to it, playing Alabama, they just have a ceiling, and they can't get over that. Hey, hey, I got a... I got a name for you that's important for LSU this year. You ready? Let's hear it. Connor Culp Jr. Richard, why could that possibly be important? Because last year, LSU got a grad transfer kicker by the name of Cole Tracy, who went 42 of 42 on extra points and was 29 of 33 for the year kicking field goals including three from beyond 50 yards, six of seven from 40 to 49 yards, seven of eight from 30 to 39 yards. He was huge. And won LSU a couple of games last year. Have they got a kicker this season? Connor Culp listed as their kicker. That could be big. We'll continue the LSU conversation in just a moment. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's how you can jump in and let your voice be heard. Love to hear from you. Jeff in Grenada. Richard, is the rest of your team that impressed with the LSU fight song? I don't know if they are or not, but I am. The beginning of Hold That Tiger is like iconic college football band music, absolutely. Dan and Charleston, good. I'm sorry. Go ahead, hey Dan. LSU has the best band in college football, so yeah, that fight song is awesome. Who, who would you argue for, Borky? Southern Cal, Ohio State. 
Sun Cow's kind of a one-trick pony, aren't they? A little bit, but I've... This is the only song we play. The only song we play. But uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I've had. Yeah, but the, it's a good one. The the one song is a good one. one. Yeah, it is. But I've seen Ohio State and LSU both in person, and as far as as music goes, the the hold that tiger and stuff and everything that LSU does, like in stadium for atmosphere purposes, is better. But as far as like what they do on the field, Ohio State's is better. You you said if you've that never makes been to Tiger Stadium, right? I've not been to Tiger Stadium, but I have seen you, the band. When you well, yeah, but when you go and you watch that pregame show and they hit the first four notes to hold that tiger, your your opinion will change. I saw Ohio State's band. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I had a buddy that saw him when they were at the Sugar Bowl, and he was blown away by them. To me, the coolest thing about Ohio State's band is all the stuff they do at halftime, like. Uh, you know, most bands that we see, they have one halftime show that they do for like the first half of the season, and then they have one that they do maybe for the second half of the season, or maybe basically it stays the same, and then they have something they do that's special for like the military tribute day, military appreciation day, or, or um, homecoming or something like that. Ohio State rolls something out different just about every game, and like one week their band is marching in the form of super or the formation of superman and the next week it's donkey kong and the week after that it's like something from jurassic park and then it's a disney princess it's amazing i i, I don't know how you teach that and implement that and it's that good every week yeah so this doesn't have to be like this massive band conversation but i love college bands Oh yeah, and part of what's cool to me about it is there's so many different approaches. Texas A&M has, you know, it's more of a military band, and their halftime shows are extremely regimented. Everything that happens is sharp. Like they turn at ninety degree angles, and they're you know crisscrossing, but they never stop moving, like for the entire halftime show, and it's really really cool. Um. Auburn's band is really, really good. They're good. So is Alabama. I have long said that Arkansas has the most underrated band in the SEC. They've only seen their full band once. I went to yeah. Fayetteville in 97. They never bring the full band or anything to Starkville. Yeah. Uh, are you there? You're there this year, aren't you? Yeah. I'll see them this year, I guess. You will. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Ohio State's band got busted a few years ago for selling <laughs> trombones for tattoos. <laughs> uh, you guys chase squirrels all the time. ADHD, Team 4, remember? Now we're talking Ohio State band. Yeah, we are. It's not so much chasing squirrels. It's just kind of where the conversation goes. We're coming back to LSU, I promise you. Just and my guess is down. we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, Ohio State over the next couple of days as we uh, get to the end of the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. We haven't hit Ohio State yet, have we? We have not. I think, actually, I know they are tomorrow. And then Georgia and then Alabama? Clemson. Alabama, then Clemson. So Georgia was over the weekend. That's right. So we missed out on Georgia. So I can bring them back if you want to. Ed from Brookhaven says Jackson State. I I meant all the other bands. Jackson State is obviously number one. I'm talking about who's behind them. Yeah. 
does Tennessee's band get knocked down because they play Rocky Top so much and people think that's the only thing they know? Possibly. That's one of the that's one of the great entrances into a stadium in college football that we don't talk about. The whole power T deal where they march it out and then the T splits and Tennessee runs through it. You'll get to see Hey Dad, you've got you've got good road trips this year. Yeah, there you go. Knoxville College Station, Fayetteville, and what's the other one? I got Auburn and New Orleans. Auburn and New Orleans. That's a pretty good road schedule for you. Yeah, yeah. Been to Auburn many times. Great town. Enjoyed it very much. Uh, and then, like I said, I'll be my first trips to uh, College Station in Knoxville. And then I've been to Fayetteville once, but it was a long, long time ago. So you have four iconic venues and Fayetteville. Neyland Stadium, iconic. Jordan-Hare, iconic. Tile Field, new iconic. And the Superdome. Yeah. Which is going to be getting better in the uh, in the preceding years, I think. Um, all right. So, so let's walk through this LSU schedule. Georgia Southern's a win. It may be ugly. It may be impressive. Who knows? I think LSU is going to Texas and winning. Hopefully by ten and a half. <laughs> maybe, obviously, maybe not. Obviously, they beat Northwestern State in, on September fourteenth. Yeah, they're going to beat Vanderbilt. They're going to beat Utah State. What about this Florida game? It's in it's in Baton Rouge, but this LSU Florida thing has been a little wonky the last couple of years. They, uh, today, say what? As we said her today, I, I would like LSU in that game. Agreed. They lost by eight at Florida last year. They won by one at Florida the year before. They lost in 2016 to Florida, 16-10. to 10. They played some close games with Florida in recent years. Yeah. Going back to 2014, it was a three-point game, a seven-point game, a six-point game, a one-point game, and then last year they lose by eight. This is the uh, this used to be the you know the top East-West matchup in the conference. It might still you don't be, think it's still I mean, you don't think it still is. It's either this or Auburn, Georgia. It might be project. I mean, it's not. There's no might about it. It's projecting. But if LSU defensively is as good as most everybody thinks they're going to be. Does the Florida team you watched on Saturday score at all? It'll be tough for them, especially down there. Yeah, Florida's got a couple of guys, though, that can just absolutely break it wide open, Tony being kind of at the top of the list. And I don't know that Felipe Franks can play a lot. I don't know that he can be a ton better than he was. He can eliminate some mistakes. I don't know that he can play a whole lot worse than he did either, though. Which maybe is to just say, eh, what you got from Felipe Franks is kind of what you're going to get. And a little surprised that they only gave P. Ryan 10 touches. He couldn't run. Only had 42 yards on those 10 carries. It's four per carry. Guys make money, lots of money, running for four per carry. Yeah, but not against Miami. Give it to him three times, it's a first down. Yeah. Um, 
Road trip to Mississippi State on October 19th. Home game against Auburn on October 26th. That one's been a little weird also. LSU won by one last year at Auburn. That was Cole Tracy, who we were talking about a little while ago. And by the way, I went back and looked at LSU's uh, projected, uh, I'm sorry, they're too deep. It is not Culp. It is the true freshman, Cade York, who is listed as the starting kicker. Man, that'd be a tough place to be a true freshman and be a kicker. Cade York, though, out of uh, out of Texas, is uh, is going to be the guy that they run out for field goals in the uh, the season opener. And then how about going back to his home state? He's from McKinney, played at Prosper High School, and uh, possibly having to try and kick a game winner at DKR. Big pressure. You learn out a lot about the freshman kicker in week two. Yeah, it won't be a game winner. They'll win by two touchdowns. It's no big deal. Eh. Open date before back-to-back road trips to Tuscaloosa and Oxford. Home game against Arkansas. Home game against Texas A&M. Is LSU going 11-1? and As we sit here today, yes. Tell us you going twelve and zero? No. I think ten and two is more likely than twelve and zero. Ten and two is a lot more likely than than nine and three is more likely than twelve and zero. I would agree with that too. Twelve and zero is off the table. They're not beating Alabama. Okay. They'll be really good on defense, though. Nasty. I tend to agree with you. I think that's every year. I think maybe we've forgotten a little bit because of how the season ended for Alabama, just how flipping good that offense was last year. And it's, at least at the skill positions, I know a little bit different at running back, but it's all back. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, Borky, you want to play the what-if game? Yeah, let's play the what-if game. Um, Mark Slayball published a story on ESPN today where he did a Media Days-style predicted order of finish for every Power 5 league in college football and also did like projected coach of the year, projected player of the year, game of the year, that kind of stuff. But his SEC projections, I want to play this game of what happens if his prediction is exactly correct. Does that sound good? Okay. The SEC East, you had Georgia at 11-1, winning the division, 7-1 in the SEC. Missouri second, 9-3, 5-3. Florida third, 8-4, 4-4. Kentucky fourth, 7-5, 3-5, which is a little against the norm for predictions for Kentucky. Tennessee, 7-5, 3-5. South Carolina five and seven, two and six, and Vanderbilt four and eight, one and seven. So starting with the East, what happens if that is exactly correct? Anything? Who does he have Georgia losing to? That was that was what I was wondering. Did not actually give a game by game prediction. That's that's interesting. I mean, I, I'm just kind of thinking about their SEC schedule. They have Notre Dame on the schedule. They yeah, have to but go I mean, to Auburn. He's got him seven but, and one. So oh, yeah, yeah, I said the only loss, loss he has for Georgia is an SEC loss. So I mean, is that Auburn? Either Auburn Maybe. or Florida. It can't be anybody else. Maybe A and M. Possibly Texas A and M. 
because if you look to the uh, the West, he's got A and M at five and three in the SEC. All right, so we need to let's go through the Western Division side before we get to the what ifs. Okay, Alabama undefeated across the board. Okay, LSU ten and two, seven and one. A and M eight and four, five and three. Auburn eight and four, four and four. So beating Oregon. Mississippi State six and six, two and six. Arkansas five and seven, one and seven. And Ole Miss three and nine, zero oh and eight. Whew. So he basically has Arkansas beating Ole Miss in week two, with Ole Miss wins coming against Southeastern Louisiana. And New Mexico, right? New Mexico, and and either Cal or Memphis. either Memphis or Cal, <laughs> which is crazy to me. And maybe I'm completely off base here, but I think Cal is a better football team than Memphis, at least from what we know about both of them. Well, I mean, it's likely that, I mean, as we if we had to put up a line right this second, the Cal would be favored in that game. So, I mean, sure they would. Well, and when I ranked Ole Miss's opponents in order of difficulty, you remember I did that a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had Southeastern Louisiana and New Mexico State, one and two. And frankly, you can flip a coin as to which one is one and which one is two. I had Arkansas at three. And then I had Vanderbilt four, Memphis five, Cal six, and then kind of worked through the SEC teams the, the rest of the way through there. That sounds about fair. All right, so if he nailed these predictions, what happens? First of all, you've got Alabama against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Mm -hmm. For me to really give you a what happens, I need to know the result of that game. Because if Georgia beats an undefeated Alabama, both of those teams are going to the playoff. They're both in, yeah. If Alabama beats a one-loss Georgia, then either Georgia or LSU is headed to the Sugar Bowl, and the SEC will only get one team in the playoff. I mean, assuming that we don't have just chaos all over college football with a whole bunch of two-loss teams. Um. Missouri, as it sits today at nine and three and five and three, would sit at home and watch bowl games on television because of their probation. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting that. Um, who would you get in the Sugar Bowl if LSU was ten and two and went seven and one, and Georgia was eleven and one and seven and one with a loss to Alabama in the championship game? You you would think LSU would get... end up in the Sugar Bowl. It, it, the, the the thing is, it's the highest ranked SEC team, uh, not in the playoff. It, My exactly. guess is an, an eleven and one Georgia team that loses to Alabama was probably ranked fourth or fifth coming in, and will probably be no worse than fifth or sixth, maybe seventh. And at yeah, a but ten, a ten, yeah, but a, a ten and two LSU, a ten two LSU team who's seven? only it's gonna be really close. Uh, it's gonna be really yeah close. because the other one, because based on this, LSU's two losses would be at Texas and to Alabama. Yeah. So it'd be close. One of them's probably going to the uh the Peach Bowl or, or whatever the uh, the next SEC, the next ranked team down the Orange Bowl something like that. Where I don't yeah, know the, it, I don't know the order of bowls this year. 
Well, and it, and it also means that LSU would finish with three straight wins, based on his predictions, with Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. And that would probably be a pretty impressive win over Texas A&M, yeah. who would be 8-3 and three going into that game. Right. Um, you would have Arkansas outside looking into the postseason. Same thing for Ole Miss. Same thing for Vanderbilt. Same thing for South Carolina and for Missouri. So you would have one... Two, three, four, five SEC teams. So the SEC would only fill nine bowl slots, which means they would not fill their allotment of bowl games. Especially the lucky with... Pac-12 team goes to the, goes to Shreveport. Woo! They'll travel <laughs> well for that one. Yeah. Um, what about what locally? Mississippi State. Yeah, I was gonna say, what if Mississippi State goes six and six and two and six in the league? Means Tommy Stevens blew up in Joe Moorhead's face, in my opinion, and uh, and it's an uncomfortable off season. It's an uncomfortable off season. I think yeah. I think just for me, looking at these, you've got two new coaches and three uncomfortable off seasons. Looking at this, to yeah, me, but but it, it, if Mark Schleyball's predictions are accurate, mm-hmm. and again, this whole big thing's a what if. I mean, we're looking at the predictions that he win, and I, I don't agree with a lot of what he's got here. No, neither do I. But we'll just go with his scenarios. It is an uncomfortable offseason for Matt Luke. Extremely uncomfortable. I don't know that he's not out at 3-9, and 0-8. Oh that they don't just find a way. But who makes that decision? I, I don't know who makes it. Somebody makes that decision. Three and they nine, can't even oh and make eight. the decision on whether or not to serve alcohol in the stadium because there's nobody who's got the strength and the power to unilaterally make a choice like that. Somebody's going to make a phone call and say, I'm out on donations if this doesn't happen. And it's, hey, Dad, it's three again, and nine, my oh point is, if you don't have a chancellor and you don't have a full-time athletics director, you cannot hire, fire, and, and then, then rehire a football better be prepared coach. to sell 10,000 or less season tickets next year. I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Okay. I'm just All saying right. it can't be done right. currently. So what you're we're, saying we're, is they, they better find a way to win five or more. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, then I got more uncomfortable off seasons. Then, so that, that if you're going to add that, they'd be uncomfortable at state. They would be uncomfortable at Florida, eight and four, third in the East. Not, not, not acceptable. But on the heels of ten and three, not acceptable. And Georgia starting to pull away now. Yeah, but it's only two years in. How many years did they give McElwain? And he won the East twice. How long was McElwain there? Three years. Two and a half, really. And then he faked death threats. He faked the death threat. But, you know, you never know with Mullen. He might do that. I I think Muschamp's out at five and seven. (laughs) Did you really just slip that in? You never (laughs) Ah, well, you know, they tried to kill me. Uh, I think Muschamp's out at five and seven. I disagree. That's two straight years you've taken a step back from that that nine-win year. Yeah, but they were in a bowl game last year. The most difficult schedule in football this year. I mean, I get that, but you can't get to six. You can't get to the bowl game. I mean, they've got to find a way. They've got to be – I mean, you know, we talked about the importance of game one for Ole Miss against Memphis. Game one for South Carolina against North Carolina is a really big game. Huge, Huge game for them. Really big game, and then I don't know about Malzahn eight and four, another four loss season. Yeah, that how might long be is the Auburn going to keep? 
How long are yeah. they going to keep it up? You know, eight eight and four, Bo Nix, and he's bought himself another year. Yeah, I mean, you might be right, but at the same time, these these are Auburn people, man. They they have made crazier decisions. I understand. Kentucky at seven and five, they might write a lifetime extension for Stoops. They would be thrilled at seven and five. They take it. Look, they would take I mean, it right now, and and that would be really impressive. If Kentucky were to get to seven and five, back to a bowl game again on the heels of last year with what they're losing, and there's some people who've taken a little bit closer look at Kentucky and go, you know what? Mark Stoops built a pretty good roster here. It's not just okay. Benny Snell's gone, and um, Josh Allen's gone. Josh Allen, is that right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Thank you. I was thinking of the quarterback there for a second. Yes. I was. No, I was too. It's not just that those two guys are gone and whoop back to four wins. That's a good roster. And I think Tennessee would be pleased with seven and five. They might be frustrated with five losses, but back into a bowl game and trending in the right direction. I think Jeremy Pruitt would probably be sleeping okay at night. Back after this. Hey, Michael Borky. Yes, sir. Would you like to uh, play the role of hand-raised guy? Well, I wish I could take credit. It was actually brought to my attention from Lance. Okay. However, those projections cannot possibly be accurate. I'm that is correct. About it. All right, so, uh, so, so here's how the math works. You have 14 teams in the SEC. They all play eight conference games. That is a total of 112 games. The math says that you can only have one winner, or that that you must have a winner and a loser in each of those 112 games, which means when you add up the SEC records for all 14 teams, if you do this properly, you will come out with a final win-loss record of 56 and 56. And there is no other way to do it. It's not possible. If you add up the win-loss records for Mark Schleyball in this prediction piece that he made, you only have 52 wins and you have 60 losses. For example, and I, I, again, because he didn't give us exactly what the results were, it would be like saying, oh, well, Auburn lost to Texas A&M. And Texas A&M lost to Auburn in the same game. Doesn't work that way. Bad math. If you want to go through this exercise on your own, if you want to try and predict the exact results, here's how you do it. You print off the composite SEC schedule. You can use the helmet schedule or the one with words in it, whatever you like. And you go in team by team, and you do win-loss, win-loss, win-win-loss, loss, win-win-loss, you know, however you want to do it. But you've got to match up. What, Alabama's the first team alphabetically, right? So when you go through Alabama's schedule, if you give them a win in all 12 games they play, you've got to cross-reference that with the other SEC teams they have and put losses in place for when they play Alabama. And then you do the same thing with Arkansas. And then you cross-reference, and, and you kind of fill it in that way. That's the only way you can do it. 
So the what if game, <laughs> when you're not dealing with proper arithmetic, I suppose is pointless. Yeah, a little bit. Come on, Schleyball. Good writer. Good detail guy. Can't miss that detail. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Louie from the 662. If Keith Carter had the power to not extend Mike Bianco, then he has the power to get rid of Matt Luke. False statement. Yeah, slightly different. Not extending a football coach, uh, a baseball coach, to a full four-year contract and firing a football coach in the SEC who makes over $3 million a year, not the same thing. Just not. And I say that with absolutely no disrespect intended to anyone, to Keith Carter or to Larry Sparks. Now, if Keith Carter's ultimately named the athletics director, then he's got to make that decision. But I don't think you can make that decision. And again, this is using a worst-case scenario where the math doesn't even add up. So, I mean, it's like uh, the, the hypothetical of all hypotheticals. But I don't see how you make that decision when you don't have a permanent boss in the Lyceum and you don't have a permanent boss in the... Athletic department office. Well, and like you said, if they if they honestly can't make a decision on selling alcohol in their stadium, which now over half of the Power Five is, is doing, over half of college football is doing, if they can't even make that decision together, they can't fire a football coach together either. Hey, guys, I'm a lifelong Mississippi State fan and a multi-year seat season ticket holder. I'm really aggravated, not by so much by the boneheaded decisions made by our student tutor and student-athletes, but by John Cohen's decision to keep it quiet while we had already sent pledges and season ticket money in. How convenient, after all, this was known about during last year's basketball season, right? Yes, it was. But can can we say, or can I say to you, that I understand your frustration, and yet there's absolutely nothing Mississippi State could have done differently? Can those two things be be true? Yeah, because they have to be I mean, true. We, we talked about it on Friday that how quickly MSU got through the process. This is something that could have drug out for months, years. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys how what your reaction was, but from afar, it kind of felt like, and that's the best case scenario outcome that they received, right? Considering what we've seen an NCAA investigation can turn into versus what it ended up being. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm willing to go best case scenario. Well, I guess you could have North Carolina it and yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there could be the sanctions, but no suspensions. That would be a better case scenario. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is not worst case scenario for uh, for Mississippi State. Could have been worse, I guess, is what I should have said. I'll be yeah. honest with you. The only thing that I'm left wondering in, in all of this. And I think there's there's plenty of kudos to go around. Is how there wasn't more discipline, like at the university level, for academic fraud. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online, supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. So if it's equipment needs, uh, buying a piece of property, building a dream home in the country, uh, getting that recreational piece of land. Maybe it's the production loan you need if you are a farmer. Give Mississippi Land Bank a call or stop by one of their branch locations. You can find those online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. This has turned into a, almost a weekly conversation with our buddy Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham at WJOX. Ryan, how's your Tuesday? It's good, buddy. I am actually coming to you from the Jocks kickoff party. We do an annual kickoff party in uh, downtown. So we're at Avondale Brewing out in their uh, concert area. So that's uh, if you hear any music in the background, that's why. Very, very good. So you, you've got your fan club there. How many autographs will you sign tonight? Uh, hopefully very few. I don't want to deface anything, but we'll have a good turnout. I think, you know, we normally have six, 700 people come out and just uh, hang out, talk football. We'll give some crap away. I think you got a chance to win a truck if you're here. So uh, it's a good time, man. It's a good way to uh, good way to kick off the football season. What do you have to do to win a truck? You have to guess. I don't know how many digits. uh you got to get in line, and then you guess a series of digits, and you punch them in a keypad, and if you get the right series of digits, you win the truck. Now, I don't know how many you got to guess, so the odds are not in your favor, but um, you at least have a chance. D- does, your, does your vehicle have one of those keypads on it where you can punch it in and unlock it without a, um, without a key? No, I used to have one of those, and it worked pretty well, but I don't have it anymore. No. That's that's handy to have, though. I do like that. Yeah, I had always gone with like the factory settings on that, and then I realized you could actually program, and so I programmed one in, and I did it just kind of to amuse myself. I probably should not give that away, though, on the uh, yeah, probably on the not. <laughs> probably would not be the uh, the best idea. Hey, I know we've talked about this some in the past with Alabama, a, a fan base that is known for traveling and traveling well. But if you're an Alabama fan and you really want to travel with the team, it gets expensive because there's usually a trip to the SEC championship game and then the playoff and then the national championship game. How's Alabama going to travel to this opening game against Duke? You know, I really don't know the answer to that question. It is funny, though. It it came up on the air today, and I went to the uh, Chick-fil-A game website just while we were on the air to see if I could buy tickets because I didn't know if the game was a sellout. I I didn't think it was. Uh, and there are two areas you can buy just the single-game ticket. And one, you go through the Alabama ticket office, and the other one, you go through the Duke ticket office. And uh, the Alabama ticket office was uh, unavailable. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't buy a ticket, so they were sold out. I went to the Duke side, and um, I could buy 20 together on several <laughs> rows. So I don't think Duke has sold theirs out at all. The uh, Secondary market, it looked like the get-in price was somewhere in the $40 range for a $200 ticket. So I'm guessing based on all those factors, it is not sold out at all. Well, and I, and I guess it's a little bit easier when it's Atlanta. I mean, if this game were yeah. in Dallas or in Orlando, you might be able to go to the Alabama ticket office and still get a ticket. Yeah. But, you know, I was here's a shocker. I was at the golf course earlier today, 
And um, I was talking to I was talking it's like Groundhog Day. I know it's every day, right? You tell my wife, uh, but I, I was talking to a guy that's a big Alabama fan, and he was fired up about going. And uh, I said, "Guy, you know Alabama's a thirty-five point favorite." So he was going over to the Braves game Friday, and it was going to come down to the uh, Bama Duke game Saturday. I said, "You know Alabama's like a thirty-five point favorite." And he goes, "Look, I get twelve, maybe thirteen chances a year to see them. I'm going to take advantage of every one I can get." And I do think there's a lot of Alabama fans that are that way. They don't care about the opponent. They only get so many. They get limited chances to see this team. So they're going to go no matter who the opponent is. But this Duke, there's no doubt, this is a tough sale. Nobody's, nobody's trying to make this anything other than a beatdown by Alabama. Yeah. Is it possible that because of the way the season ended a year ago that some of us, and maybe I'm raising my hand here, have allowed ourselves to forget how dynamic – Alabama was offensively a year ago? Maybe so. And, you know, part of it, too, was the season, you know, if you look at their last few games offensively, they weren't as dynamic as they had been. So they struggled against Mississippi State, which, you know, was understandable. It was the number one defense in the country, but it's as much right. as Alabama had struggled. Um, they, they struggled a little bit again. Well, they, they blew Auburn out in the second half, scored 52 on Auburn. So they didn't struggle in that game, but Struggled against Georgia in the SEC championship game when Tungabaloa got hurt. They were fine against Oklahoma. And then struggled again in the Clemson game. So I think the narrative is that maybe people figured out Alabama's offense at the end. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I think there were factors in all those games. One of them, like I mentioned, the state game, you were going against three first-round draft picks on that defense. It was the best defense in the country. Um, you know, in the Georgia game, Tungabaloa got hurt on the very first series. And then he broke his leg in the fourth quarter. So... I mean, yeah. those are factors that you have to take into consideration in the way they struggled. And I think we've talked about this before. If you look back at the Clemson game, the offense didn't struggle as bad as the score would indicate. You know, they got down and had to go for some fourth downs they normally wouldn't do. They faked a field goal that was an ill-time fake. Between the 20s, really between the 10s, that offense moved the ball last year. They just they couldn't get it in the end zone for whatever reason. They were really bad in the red zone. Ryan, I know the majority of the time we talk Alabama and Auburn with you, but you guys do a great job covering the entire SEC and really the entire college football landscape. When you look at week one, I mean, obviously Auburn and Oregon is is the most compelling game that is out there. There are a few others, but I feel like the Memphis Ole Miss game is one of the most interesting matchups of that opening week slate. Do you look at that game and and think that, and and do you have any thoughts on the opener for, for those two teams? Oh, I do. Uh, that's a game I'm really interested in. I mean, I, I think, Richard, if you went to most average fans and said, hey, Memphis and Ole Miss are playing, who's the favorite in the game? I think the vast majority of people would say, well, God, Ole Miss is going to be favored over Memphis. And when you tell them, well, actually, Memphis is a six-point favorite, I think they're surprised by that. So I think you got that. You've got the, you know, the geographic rivalry nature of it. Um, I think a lot of people look at that and say, if Ole Miss is going to go to a bowl game, that's going to be a game they're going to need to win. It might be difficult to find six wins without that one. And then from the yeah. Memphis standpoint, you know, that's a team that could go undefeated. I mean, I'm not blown away if Memphis could beat Ole Miss if they finish the season undefeated. They're favored in every game they play right now. So I, I do think there are a lot of kind of underlying storylines in that game that, that do make it interesting. I'll definitely be watching. Peeking ahead to week two, and, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again before we get to that, how excited are you about watching LSU in Texas? And, and, and how oh. do you think that plays out? Yeah, I don't know how it plays out. I, I am fascinated by it because there are a lot of people that think Ellinger is maybe right behind Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tungabaloa as the best quarterbacks in the country. So 
So you've got that factor. Um, you know, I mean, Joe Burrow, what is Joe Burrow? I keep hearing he's going to be better. This is the annual discussion about how LSU is going to open up the offense and things like that. <laughs> um, I, it's fascinating. If nothing else, it's a great helmet game. I mean, to see those two uniforms oh, absolutely. on a campus stadium, I mean, that's, that's terrific. I, you know, I, I am very fired up about that one, no doubt. We were talking about LSU earlier today, and I said it wouldn't surprise me at all if their game against Georgia State in the opener is kind of one of those slog fests where you know it's relatively close mid-third quarter and they pull away and people are kind of grumbling, and then all of a sudden a week later they look like a legitimate top-five team in the country when they go to Austin. It just kind of feels yeah, like I mean, the way LSU performs yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do. And then they'll have another hugely puzzling you know, um, game somewhere where they just don't show up and get – get hammered by somebody um and then they, they, you know look they struggle in tuscaloosa they cannot win in tuscaloosa so that's another factor you have to look at when you look at the big picture with lsu is they're playing that game at bryant denny stadium and they uh they have been awful against alabama and bryant denny yeah can we overstate the importance of the north carolina game for south carolina in week one going into well, this fourth year for will muschamp i don't think so because again i'll say that kind of like i said with Ole miss Give that uh, give South Carolina a loss there and get them bowl eligible. That's hard to do with that con- with that schedule that they play. Um, when you consider they have to play Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Texas A and M, they have got a brutal schedule. So you know you give them a loss to North Carolina, who I don't think will be a very good team. It's going to be hard to get them bowl eligible. And I, I don't know what the climate is there, but if and this you know if if, if Will Muschamp can't make a bowl this year, if he's five and seven. I mean, I think he, it could be the end of it for him there. So, no, I, I think this is a massive game for him. If you had to punch a five-number combination into that lock and you were eligible to win the truck, what five numbers would you press? Four, three, six, eight, two. Four, three, six, eight, two. Let me know if yeah. that wins the truck. I, I, will, I don't think I'm eligible, but I will let you know. Probably not. Hey, thanks for making a little time for us, Ryan, and uh, enjoy the evening. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. Always fun. That's uh, Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable. They're having their uh, Jocks listener party in Birmingham, big crowd, and a chance to win a truck if you just randomly punch in the right code into the uh, keypad on the lock. Borky, what would your five-digit combination be? Oh, man, Uh, 47902. Hey, Dad, give me a five-digit combination. One, two, three, four, five. Same combination on my luggage. Rippy? Five, four, three, two, one. Got a bunch of funny guys around here. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're back with you right after this. Ryan Brown joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Good chat with Ryan Brown on the Farm Bureau phone line. That was your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. You've got, uh, what, six days left for the Hurry Up and Save sales event. That is great savings on the full line of cars, trucks, and SUVs that Ford has to offer. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. I was having trouble going to sleep last night, and uh, it was about midnight, give or take, maybe 11.30, and I jumped in the uh, in my truck, which is a Ford F-150, went to uh, grab a snack, and I decided to go uh, drive through the lot Ford dealership here in Oxford, just kind of looking. I tend, I find myself getting truck fever when I do that, so it's probably not a good thing to do right now. 
Uh, but man, they got some good looking stuff and great deals on the uh, the F one fifty year end twenty nineteen model years. Good savings on those. How could you see them? I mean, they have lights in the parking lot, even when they're closed. Would... Yeah. What'd you yeah. eat? A moon pie and a can of sour cream Pringles. The small can, not the big can. And I didn't do it in six bites, and I didn't eat the entire can. <laughs> I did it in three. I ate that uh, I ate that moon pie in about three bites, though. Whew. It's good, too. Hey, uh, on Thursday, JT will be at Trigger Time Indoor Shooting Range to kick off Mississippi's Second Amendment Tax-Free Weekend. There will be special financing for this weekend with lots of great deals throughout the store. That's JT live from Trigger Time, 120 Air Park Road in Tupelo. And then on Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk will be live at the um, Golden Moon Casino. We'll be at the Sportsbook for uh, three hours from 3 to 6. If you're in the area, would love for you to come by and say hi. And uh, you can get a little action on the games on Thursday night and going into the weekend if you are so inclined. And then on Friday... You can catch Sports Talk Mississippi at the uh, Chancellor's House, the hotel in Oxford on the Oxford Square. As we kick off the college football season, Sports Talk Mississippi at Chancellor's House on the historic square in Oxford coming up this Friday. And you've got like an hour and a half left to vote in the uh, runoff election if you uh, are eligible to do so, uh, which means if you did not vote in the general election, you can vote. And if you did vote in the general election, you can vote in the primary in which you voted the last time. So if you voted on the Republican ticket in the general, uh, I'm sorry, in the primary, then you can vote on the Republican ticket in the runoff. If you voted on the Democratic side in the primary, you can vote on the Democratic side in the runoff. And if you did not vote the first time around, you can vote in the runoff. I think I had all of those things right. If you have any questions about that, visit the Secretary of State's website. It'll make it crystal clear. Did I, I get all that two right, Borky? people who don't have questions about that. Say what now? I know two people who don't have questions about that. Is it two or three? <laughs> I think it's two. Who? Well, there's one. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, hey, like that'll sports. answer any questions you have. <laughs> what was that, that hey, Dad? I like sports. Are, are, are you lobbying for stick to sports guy right now? Hey, guys, what the heck? Let's go talk some sports. Hey, I can tell you more about my incoming baby if you'd like to talk about that. Um, inco- weekend slate of games. We're all excited because it's college football. Real American college tackle football. But if you dig a little deeper, there's not just a ton of eye candy on the schedule. This weekend, there are a few games that are really compelling, and a bunch of games where the spread is like 30 points. So, Forky asks the question Are there any under the radar games that you think could end up being compelling this, excuse me, this weekend, or could potentially turn into compelling in terms of a chase for the college football playoff? What do you like, Borky? I'm looking closely at these four games that I might turn to if the the score gets close because, as you said, the slate just doesn't have a whole lot on it. 
James Madison at West Virginia. Our, our guy Kelso has texted me on this show every single day to mention James Madison. I'll do it again on Thursday as well for him because he said that uh, he'll let me fly in his hurricane chaser airplane. That's what he does for a living. If yeah. I mention James Madison on this show, and I'm not patronizing him by saying this, they're just a five-and-a-half-point underdog at West Virginia. That's the best team in the FCS going to a complete rebuild in Morgantown, and they're less than a touchdown favorite. New quarterback at West Virginia is Austin Kendall, who got buried on the depth chart at Oklahoma. He was really highly thought of and sought after coming out of high school. But then uh, he ran into a little Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts buzzsaw. And so he said, you know what, enough of this. I'm going to go somewhere I can play. He has been named the starter at West Virginia. And the Dukes go in there at just a five-and-a-half-point dog. That's a game I might be watching. The nerd I heard bowl. somebody say I heard somebody say earlier this week that James Madison looks like a power five team when they get off the bus. You know, you have a lot of yeah, it's like when guys transfer away from power five teams and they transfer down a level so they don't sit out, a lot of them end up at James Madison. And so James Madison is a team that will look like West Virginia when they get there. We'll see if they play like that. It's been a really good program in uh, in recent years. They've had, what, game day twice? Or at least once. Yeah, something like that. And, uh, I mean, NC State wasn't a world beater last year, but that was an eight-win ACC team. They went to Raleigh and lost by 11 last year. Yeah. So they can play a little bit. What else you got? Uh, the Nerd Bowl, Northwestern, just a six-and-a-half-point dog, so not a tiny spread, but Northwestern at Stanford. And there will be maybe 15,000 people in the stands at Stanford. Their students don't go back to school for a long time, and they famously have small crowds anyway, so a dead atmosphere, but could be a good football game. Why don't they go back to school for a long time? They're on, what is it, the quarter schedule or something yeah, they weird? Do, they do quarter system there. Uh, have you looked at Stanford's first four games to begin the year? David Shaw was on with uh, Scott Van Pelt last night, and they were talking about this gauntlet to start the year. Northwestern at home, at Southern Cal, at UCF, and then Oregon at home in the first four to start the year. Good luck with that slate. KJ Costello's back as the quarterback and uh, had a great season a year ago, despite all the injuries. Stanford plays 11 Power 5 teams and UCF. Whew. We've been talking about South Carolina having the the hardest schedule, and yeah, they play the four four great teams, obviously, but they've got some some gimmies on there. Stanford, I mean, I I don't know about Oregon State or you know something like that, but they're they're playing all Power Fives except for the best group of five team. Well, isn't the the reason though that people say most difficult? is South Carolina because they get Clemson at the end, they open yeah. with North Carolina, and their crossover opponents this year from the SEC West are Alabama, Alabama and Texas A&M. And they also have Georgia. I get that. but So would you rather play five games you have no chance of winning but seven where you're a toss-up or 11 games like this where everything's a toss-up? Or 12 games like this. Every game on their schedule is a toss-up probably. Yeah, I don't agree that every game's a toss-up, though. I mean, I know the Pac-12 is going to be better, but they don't still play got Oregon State, State, and you still got they don't play Oregon State. They don't. No. Yeah, they do in Week Five. Where, where am I seeing that? Okay, you're right. So that's that, maybe they're they're one game where it's it's not. I mean, they're going to be 
I mean, that's a, that's a tough schedule. It's, it's just an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, UCLA was bad a year ago. Arizona's not very good. Colorado's going to be bad this year. Cal's a toss-up game. And I get what you're saying. I do think it gets a little easier for them after the first four. Not a lot easier, though. Yeah. At, at least in the middle four games of their schedule, they've got Oregon State and UCLA and Arizona. And they host Washington. Borky, what else? So, so you gave me James Madison, West Virginia, Northwestern, Stanford. What else is under the radar for week one? Running out of time, so I'll skip one. This game, it's a neutral site game, technically, that nobody's talking about for good reason. But Boise State against Florida State and Jacksonville, random as can be, could be a really good football game with Boise State just a four-point underdog. So Boise State out of the Mountain West, has established itself as a a good program year in, year out. They've had some stability now with Brian Harson as the head coach for, let's see, going into his fifth year? Uh, Let's see. Going into his sixth season, Boise State was 10-3 last year, 11-3 two years ago, 10-3 the year before that. And so in five seasons, Brian Harson has won 12 games, 9 games, 10 games, 11 games, and 10 games. Their losses last year were at Oklahoma State against Fresno State in the Mountain West title game by three. They had their bowl game canceled when it was uh, was all said and done last season. That's a nice catch. And Boise State getting points in that game? Could be one to watch. Back with you after this. Sports Talk. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 